you uh, will join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We will be looking at verses uh, 10 through 15 this morning, but really we're going to narrow in on um, verse 11, and then next week I'll hit 10 through 17 and kind of um, go back over some of that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to read together verses 10 through 15, and if you're visiting with us, um, we do welcome you. Um, we uh, preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and this is where we uh, find ourselves today. Uh, the title of my sermon is, is Jesus, the Foundation. And the key words for our worshipers in training are foundation, builds, and works. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We will read verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, Straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. If you remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the previous verses and Paul's imagery, this design that he laid out of describing the church as a garden. And he talked about himself planting the seed and Apollos coming and watering the seed and God giving the growth. And so we looked at the garden and we saw the church as that garden. And we saw God as the gardener. And we realized that Paul and Apollos and us, we are merely tools to work the garden. And so we talked about division that was rising up in the church and Paul has been on this theme for several verses now as we've walked through the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. And so I tried to paint the picture in the garden that the people were dividing into two different groups because of Paul and because of Apollos, and we had them dedicating all of their effort, all of their thoughts, all of their energy toward following either a rake or a shovel. So we had two groups. We had the rakists and we had the shovelists. Those who would follow Paul and those who would follow Apollos. And so there was disunity in the church because they sought to follow man and did not follow God. And we discussed that we, and Paul made this very clear as he spoke of himself, that we are nothing that we are nothing, that we are merely servants. We are busboys for Jesus. And that to see ourselves as anything greater is to put ourselves in a position where we are to be honored, where we are to be worshipped. And so Paul is fighting hard with his words here to get the church to move away from division for putting him in a place of honor, for putting Apollos in a place of honor, for putting Cephas in a place of honor to where they look to these men and follow these men instead of looking to Christ and following Christ. And so now we see that Paul is going to shift from this idea of the garden or the field, and now he's moving to the building. Remember verse 9, he wrote, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. And then he gets us into our next section. He says, God's building. You are God's 
building. So there's really six things that I want to hit on today and next Sunday. Here they are. We're only going to hit three of them this morning. Paul outlines that there is a builder. In verse 10, he talks about being a skilled master builder. The second thing that he addresses is that in order to build, there must be plans. And we will see that in verse 10 as well, when he tells them to take care of how he builds upon the foundation. And then thirdly, we will see the foundation. We'll look at that in verse 11 and really where we will focus the majority of our attention this morning. The foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then next week we'll move into verse 12 as he talks about the materials that are being used to build on this foundation and the structure that is being built up. And whether it is made of gold or silver or precious stones or wood and hay and stubble. And then of course after this structure is up, there must be an inspection and we will see the inspection in verses 13 through 15. That Jesus will judge the structure. And then lastly, we will move into verses 16 and 17 and see that we will have created a home and the Holy Spirit will dwell within it. And I see, I perceive that as we look at what Paul is saying and where Paul is going and where I hope to go this morning is that he is striving to help the Corinthians... And as a result, striving to help us see the church from more of a pastor's perspective. And so I I just want to warn you that this Sunday and next Sunday will maybe be a little bit boring for you unless you love the church. Unless you love the fact that God has called you into community with other believers to strive alongside in wisdom and truth in truth and in grace. If that's not your heart, then this may fall on deaf ears. And I do pray that God would give you a great love and a great desire and a great zeal for His church. And we'll see that the architecture of the church, the building of the church is vitally important And I want to pause right there because even saying that may draw up memories of or thoughts of me talking about all of this. I'm not talking about all of this. I'm talking about us, the body, the people, the one another of the church. But that architecture, that community, that life on life together part of the church is vitally important because the reputation of Jesus is vitally important. It is infinitely crucial that the church is representing who Jesus is and is giving a good representation of Christ as being the perfect God-man who came to bear the sins of His people to rescue them from death and hell. So Paul, as he's about to describe the church as a structure, wants to build it on a solid foundation with materials that will be judged by Jesus through fire in the end. And that's a difficult thing for us to understand because as we think of judgment, we think sheep and goats. We think believers, non-believers, but Paul's going to get into where he starts to talk about the judgment of the church and the judgment of believers. And we'll hit on that next week and what all that means and what it looks like in the end. But Paul is reminding the Corinthians, as he really has all along, he is proclaiming this truth that the church belongs to Jesus. The church does not belong to pastors. It does not belong to deacons. It does not belong to the majority. 
It doesn't belong to those who are big money givers. The church belongs to Jesus. And if we fail to see it that way, then it is no longer the church. It's a club with a president and a board of directors, but it's not the church. And it belongs to Jesus because we all belong to God. We belong to God to obey Him, to serve Him, to love Him and follow Him and worship Him and honor Him and proclaim His greatness to the nations. And so, from the get-go, we must understand for us and most certainly for Paul and what he is writing about that this is, this is not about us. <laughs> this is not about us. This is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. So let's first look at the master builder in, in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And so essentially what Paul is saying here is, he's saying, I'm a good master builder. I know how to do this work that's been given to me. I know how to do this church thing. And so there's a sort of humble confidence here with Paul. He's not being arrogant. He's not being prideful. But he is saying, by God's grace, I know how to do what I'm called to do. Very much the same as any of us would look at our job and be able to say, I'm good at what I do. I'm good at my work. I work hard at it. And there seems to be fruit from my labor as I strive to do the best that I can. And so Paul is saying, I am skilled in this that which God has called me to do. And that is everything having to do with the church. And the thing that we all need to know is that as the apostles were called to begin and work on building this church, as Christ was working through them, also very much the same for pastors today, that we don't simply just work in the church but there is a great need that we are also working on the church. And so we're not just talking about um, preaching and teaching and answering phones and emails. (laughs) There's a lot of things that go into the architecture of the church that many may not even realize. A lot goes into figuring out organization and structure and people and their lives and where they're gifted and where they fit to serve and finances and real estate and taxes and laws so that we don't end up in jail and vision and mission and associations and what's going on in other churches and what's going on in world Christianity and what's going on in other religions and how does all of that impact us. All of these things are what pastors are called to focus on. And so it's not simply working in the church. It's not simply working to serve the people in the church by preaching and teaching and sending emails and answering phone calls and doing counseling, it's also working on the church. The very practical things that a lot of us don't like to do. (laughs) A lot of things that some of us aren't necessarily gifted in or maybe we're good at it, but we simply want to focus all our attention on the Word. I'm here to preach the Word. I don't want to spend my time bogged down in these administrative things, but so vitally important that this structure of the church is supported as a good master builder. That all of the pieces are being worked together and brought together so that there is a solid structure built on a solid foundation. And notice that Paul makes very clear from the get-go in verse 10 that this is all according to what? It's according to the grace of God given to me. 
And so in no way is Paul boasting. And in no way is Paul giving them one more inch to elevate him as one to follow. He reminds them once again, this is by the grace of God. Very similar to what we saw in verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It is God's grace. It is God's work. And so now he sees that there are others building on this foundation that he laid, that he proclaimed. And those that are building need to take a good, hard look at the plans. And they need to see what the the foundation is. And that's where we're camping out this morning, at the foundation. And we will see that they need to carefully consider their building materials and, and why it is so vitally important that certain things are being built on this foundation. And so, real quickly, let's look at the building plans. Verse 10 again. He says, someone else is building upon this foundation. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. And so we have Paul who came. He proclaimed Christ in him crucified. He laid this vital foundation. And now the subcontractors move in and are building on this foundation. And they need to take these plans and carefully examine these plans that have been laid out. And Paul's great concern is what is being taught and by whom it's being taught. Let each one take care. He's giving a warning. He's giving A very clear warning here that those who will build on this foundation must take care, must examine the plans. Why? Because of what, or better, who the foundation is, namely Jesus. It is vitally important that the structure is a certain way because the foundation is Jesus. And in this case... The foundation must control all of the materials that are being used in the structure. And so he's saying because the foundation is Jesus, take care to consider the materials that you put on that foundation because that foundation controls the shape and the quality of the building. And so let's look at the foundation, and that's where we'll spend the rest of the morning. Verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now remember, there's two things going on primarily in the Corinthian church that Paul is addressing. One is that there are false teachers that have come to lay a different foundation. So they're looking to human wisdom. They're looking to the eloquence of man and having a desire to run to those men who are eloquent, who are good with words. And this was, remember we talked about several weeks ago, this was the ideology of a group called the Sophists. They loved, they absolutely loved human eloquence. They loved one who was able to speak with a golden tongue and to turn phrases and to use words in a way that excited them. And so these false teachers were simply dismissing Jesus and looking to men who were great preachers and following them because of their eloquence. And the second thing going on in the Corinthian church was this man-centered disunity. Disunity caused because of those who were following Paul or Apollos or Cephas or even a group who said, we don't need teachers at all, we just follow Christ. And Paul addresses all of this very simply in chapter 2, verse 2, when he says, I came to you and I knew nothing amongst you other than Christ and Him crucified. I didn't preach to you in human eloquence. 
I didn't preach to you to follow me or any other teacher. I came to proclaim to you Christ and Him crucified. And so all of this that was going on in the church was creating great disunity. And Paul is driving this point home that as God's building, the church should be cemented together with brotherly love, with brotherly affection on the true foundation of Christ. And literally what this verse is saying is that no one can lay a foundation alongside the foundation that has already been laid. It's already laid. It's already there. Another gospel is not the gospel. We just read that in Galatians 1 verse 9. If anyone is preaching a gospel to you contrary to the one you received, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. It's not the gospel. And, and so just, just an, a note for all of us, if, if anyone ever uses a word with the gospel, you can pretty much bank on the fact that it's not the gospel. So, social gospel. Prosperity gospel. Political gospel. But those aren't the gospel. The prosperity gospel is not the gospel. It's a bunch of clowns on TV trying to take your money. And if they're trying to lay another foundation next to that which has already been laid, it is not the gospel. It is man-centered. It is man seeking his own praise. It's man seeking his own glory. Because the foundation that is laid was a past act and it has permanent effects. Look, look at verse 11. He says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid. It already is laid. And in essence, Paul is saying this is not my foundation, but this is the once for all foundation laid by God who is Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a true foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 the Apostle Paul writes, You are fellow Christians with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And so all of Scripture is screaming the fact that Christ Jesus is the foundation of the church and is the foundation of the life of the church and everything that we are as believers and any other foundation is not the gospel. Because the foundation is permanent. The foundation was laid in the past and it will never be shaken. It will never crack. It will never break. And yet as man looks to that foundation, there's three things that I want to look at. I want to look first at the foundation that men lay for themselves. Secondly, I want to look more specifically at this foundation that God has laid. And then lastly, I want to look at why no other foundation can be laid. So first, the foundation that men lay for themselves. Every man woman and child has some sort of foundation that they base all of their hope and all of their joy on. There's no escaping it. Every person everywhere, all of time, no matter what, is seeking their own joy. And all of that is based on whatever their foundation is. And it looks like a lot of different things. It has different nuances for some, different shades, different colors, but it boils down ultimately to two things. One is, is their own goodness. 
man will lay a foundation of his own goodness and try and build the structure of his life on that foundation. And so in their minds, they have this picture of lady, the lady justice scales. She's holding the scales and we're going to hit more on this next week, but it's sort of this idea that we want our good to outweigh our bad. And every other religion in the world says that's how it is. But we've tried to make it cute and say that when we go to heaven, that St. Peter's at the gate and he's weighing our goodies versus our baddies. And so then we're like belly buttons. We're innies or outies. Look, I don't know exactly what St. Peter's doing in heaven. Probably he's before the throne of God, worshiping him on his face like we will be doing forever and ever. But he's not doing that. (laughs) He's not standing at the gate waiting for us to come so that he can look at this checklist of our goodies and baddies. Because we have to remember that it's not only our gross sins in this life that expose us to God's wrath. It is one sin. It was one sin that happened in the garden before we were ever a thought in the mind of man. That exposed us to the wrath of God. But we tend to think it's only my bad sins that will expose me to this wrath. So we jump into different areas to where we try and justify this. We'll, we'll just flat out, we'll just be dishonest. We'll say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really that bad. I'm not that bad. As I look at what God requires of me and the life that I live, it's not a big deal. And so we're like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of gave him a quiz. What, what are, what are the commandments? Do not murder, do not steal, have no other gods before the God of the universe. Do not commit adultery. And he went down the list and he said, all of these I have kept. (laughs) All of the law I have kept. And Jesus said, okay, fine, then sell all of your possessions and, and then follow me. And He couldn't do it. He turned around and walked away. Because Jesus knew that centrally in his heart, he felt like he had done enough good. (laughs) He felt like he had fulfilled the law of God. But the Beatitudes teach us very clearly that it's not simply a matter of our outward deeds. It's a matter of the heart. Do not kill, and oh, by the way, if you hate someone in your heart, it's the same thing. Do not commit adultery, but oh, by the way, if you look on someone with lust in your eye, you have committed adultery in your heart. And so we're very dishonest as we try to lay this foundation of good works because we're simply looking at outward things and saying, I'm not really that bad. And then we slip into this other thing where we do this comparison game. I'm not that bad because I'm not like those people. You know, I I may have cut a little bit off my tax return and held a little bit back and didn't report everything, um, but I'm not Bernie Madoff. I may have caught a little glance of that lady over there when she was walking through the aisle, but I'm not sleeping with someone other than my wife. Okay, so then we do this comparison thing. I'm not them, and so I must be doing okay. And then we look just like Luke 18 when the Pharisee and the tax collector were both praying. You guys remember that story. The Pharisee comes and he sees the tax collector praying who is weeping 
He's pleading with God to forgive him for his sin because he sees that he is wretched, he is sinful, he's in need of salvation from a great God and Savior. And the Pharisee comes and sees him and says, God, thank you that I am not like this man. Thank you that I don't have the sins of this man in my life. Thank you that I keep the Sabbath and that I tithe my mint and dill and cumin I give out of my spice rack. Thank you, Father, that I am who I am and I'm not that man. And so we compare. And we make excuses. And then we get into this thing of false righteousness. That all of a sudden we find our righteousness in everything other than Christ. And so we find our righteousness in that, well, I'm, I'm a really good parent. And I'm going to bolster this thing of me being a really good parent so that others, as others look at me, they say, wow, he's a, he's a really good dad. And so all of my righteousness, all of my right standing with God is stationed on this thing of me being a really good father. Or maybe it's that I'm a good employee. I'm really good at my job and I go in early and I come home late and I bring work home with me and I give 100% of everything that I do. And so I'm really a great employee and that's where my righteousness is found. Or I'm a good whatever. I'm a good money manager. I'm a good timekeeper. I'm good at all of these things, and because I'm good at those, that is where my righteousness is. And if that's where we're thinking, then that is simply the foundation that we've laid to build everything upon. And so if my false sense of righteousness is, I'm a good husband. I'm a really good husband. Okay, well then, the rest of the structure of my life is simply built on this foundation of being a good husband. And the problem with that is that I don't understand God's holiness. I don't understand God's glory. And I don't understand the absolute and total depravity of my heart. Because as good of a husband as I think I might be, I don't fully love my wife like Christ loves His church. And... The one who thinks in these terms, the one who thinks in terms of good deeds, may be regular church attenders and Sunday school teachers. In fact, a lot of times they're the ones that serve themselves silly in the church. And they may be very, very, very good religious people, but it may be that they're not really Christians. Yeah, and that's, that's hard. That's, that's hard to swallow because we want to look at the service that we put into the church in serving others, in serving this, what God has built amongst His people and to see those who give so much of their lives for it. And we shudder to think that in the end God might even say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Because when your foundation is your own goodness, when your foundation is your own deeds, you become the perfect candidate for idolatry. Because that idol factory of your heart, it starts cranking. And it gets oiled up. Because when Jesus is not your foundation, then you will seek your joy in something else. And anything you find greater joy in than Christ Himself is an idol. It can be money or alcohol or sex or your job or your relationships or a certain feeling that you want or stuff. It can even be a ministry that you're involved in. Anything that you find greater joy in than Christ is an idol. And when your foundation is an idol... You're building a structure on very shaky ground. And as the storm comes, it's going to wash away. And it's all going to crumble. 
God says something very clearly in Isaiah 64, 6, when He speaks of our deeds that are laid on a foundation of our own goodness. He says, Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Now, I don't want to be crass, but here's what that is. (laughs) Our righteous deeds are like a dirty, used menstrual cloth. That's what that is, literally. A menstrual garment. And so as God looks on our attempts at developing our own sense of righteousness on our good deeds, He's looking at them and seeing them as filthy and disgusting and vile. And even for our own joy, when we seek our own self-righteousness, when suffering comes, when tragedy comes, what do we have to cling to? The fact that I'm a good father? The fact that I'm a good husband? What does that help when the doctor says it's cancer? When grievous sin comes into my life, all of a sudden, if my foundation is self-righteousness, the sin is a crushing weight that I can't get out from under. And so many seek to lay a foundation of their own good works and Then there are others, secondly, who try to couple their own works with Christ's merit. And so they try to unite the two. So then Christ is supplying for our deficiencies. And He picks up where our works end. And so the result of that is making God into a God who is indebted to us. Now He owes us something because we did our part. We saw this in the book of Galatians, the Judaizers of Paul's day. These were people who were coming into the church, coming and telling the Galatians that if they wanted to be believers in Christ, that they had to repent and believe the gospel, and they had to follow the law, the Jewish law. And so it was gospel plus. There it is again. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. And particularly, they were harping on this issue of circumcision and telling the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised. And Paul was addressing them very clearly and saying, that is not the gospel. And so we look at that and say, well, we don't really have anything like that, but I'll tell you, we probably have a lot more than we think. Today, this is those who add to the gospel, and and it might be us. And I know as I've searched through this and thought about this, I've had to really examine my own heart. Because for many of us, the foundation is Christ and Him crucified and a whole litany of other things. Some of them are silly and some of them are absolutely ridiculous and some of them are even good. But all of them downgrade the gospel and put God into our debt. So it can be the gospel of Christ and Him crucified and you have to wear a suit and tie to church. Or it can be Christ and Him crucified and you have to vote for the right political candidate. Or it can be Christ and Him crucified and no alcohol better even be within eyesight of you. Or that you give a certain amount of money to the church. Or that you share the gospel a certain number of times every week. Or that you dedicate all of your time and all of your effort to pro-life causes. Or that you pursue a certain a specific type of schooling for your children, or that you spend all of your efforts serving the poor and the homeless. And look, again, like I said, some of these things are great things. And some of these things are things that we as believers ought to be pursuing. But when we make good things into God things, then they're idols. <laughs> and it's no longer the gospel. And so in this mindset, when suffering and tragedy comes, then there's this idea that, well, God owes me. I did my part. Now God's going to do His. And so we hear things that people say, well, I just know that God's going to heal me. Well, what if He doesn't? 
when a, when a big need arises, then all of a sudden we get to this place where we're thinking in our minds, I've done what I need to do. I have faith in Christ. And He's indebted to me, so God will provide here. Well, what if God doesn't provide there? So it's this like weird mix of ATM Jesus with Savior Jesus, with co-pilot Jesus, with pay-it-forward Jesus. Jesus is going to push us over the hump because we can't quite get there ourselves. And so what we've done is we've created an idol named Jesus. And look, if, if Jesus owes you something, we're not talking about the same Jesus. <laughs> And so man will either build a foundation of his own good works or he'll mix the merits of Christ with his own. Neither one of them is the gospel. This foundation that God has laid is one thing and one thing only. Again, verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So what is this foundation that God has laid? As we look at the Bible, we don't read a bunch of little stories. We read one story. From beginning to end, we read one story. From creation to fall, to covenant with Abraham, to the law, to David, to the new covenant. All of this is one big story, and it's all about Jesus. And it's all about God reconciling all things back to Himself in Jesus Christ. And you read about that in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's happening right now, and we all have the great privilege of being a part of that. So the foundation that God has laid is that which we find in every single page of Scripture is Jesus. And Paul is saying here that the church must be built on Jesus. We stand as sinners in need of Jesus and He is all that we've got. Not music. We don't build our foundation out of music, out of personalities out of programs and and buildings and real estate and our ministry efforts. It's Jesus. And He is all we've got. It's only Jesus and it's only the Gospel. And so we do small groups and we do men's and women's ministry and children and student and we strive to have godly marriages and we strive to work hard at our jobs and we do well in school and we do counseling with one another and we pursue our hobbies. And in all of those things, we do them because of Jesus and for the sake of Jesus and His glory and for nothing else. Because if Jesus is our foundation, then we look at everything differently. Instead of, then, an example, instead of Christians coming together and forming their own basketball team and then going to play with other Christians in a church league, it looks like maybe joining the Y and going and joining a team with other non-believers so that you are around them and you can speak truth into their lives of the gospel. And so you might think, well, they have potty mouths. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> we'll be okay. We can go into those environments. We're not gonna we're not gonna catch their sin. Okay? It's not a disease that they're non believers. We're not gonna catch that. We're there to speak truth and be ministers of reconciliation, calling all things back to God. Okay, so when we're on the foundation of Jesus, we look at everything differently. Romans 3.25 says, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by His blood. He put Jesus forward as the foundation. So every sinner, every church is to build their hope on Christ alone. What does that look like? What does a church look like with Christ as the foundation? It looks like there's preaching and there's teaching and there's leaders that are Christocentric. That everything about those people and that church 
is all about Jesus. And there are members of the body who are walking in the Spirit. They're walking in Christ's likeness. And they're growing in their sanctification. And they're striving to live holy lives for the glory of God. And real quick, lastly, why can no other foundation be laid? Two quick reasons and I'll let you go to lunch. One, no other is worthy. God Himself is the divine architect. Therefore, He must receive all the glory. For beginning the building, for protecting and perfecting the building. And if the foundation was any of man, then man would get glory. God's not concerned about you getting glory. He's concerned about Himself being glorified in all the nations. And so, when Jesus is the foundation, we have no means for boasting. Because we're not worthy to hold that post. And see, if a man had grounds for boasting, even, even in heaven their song would be different from that of the angels. And if man is any part of the foundation, then it's not worth Christ's suffering. There can be no means, no, nor any understanding of salvation that gives man room to boast. If your understanding of how man is brought into a relationship with Christ leaves any room for boasting, then I want to challenge you on that. Because you're building a foundation that is not all of Christ. Secondly, no other foundation can be laid because no other could support the weight. All that our souls need now and forever must be derived from the foundation. All of our hope, our pardon, our peace, our strength, our righteousness, our eternal glory. Can our own works bear this weight? Can any old man bear the weight of the sins of a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation for all time? Absolutely not. The weight bore on the shoulders of Jesus is tremendous. And it takes a perfect, sinless God-man. And it can be done by no other. And so three, three things for you to consider. Just statements. I'm not going to go into details. And then a quote and we'll, we're done. First, it's vitally important that every single one of us considers who or what our foundation is. We must trust the power of the gospel lest we run into pragmatism and shallow models and shallow techniques as a body of believers and as individuals. Secondly, we need to realize and find great hope in the fact that those who build on the true foundation of Christ are eternally secure. And we're going to talk more about that next Sunday. And this too we'll talk about next Sunday. Thirdly, how very careful we must be about what structure we build on the foundation. So we know the foundation. Now what is the structure? I want to end with a, a quote from St. John Chrysostom. Chrysostom, some say. Church Father. Excellent quote. And then we'll be done. Upon this, then let us build. And as a foundation, let us cleave to it as a branch to a vine. And let there be no interval between us and Christ. For if there be any interval, immediately we perish. For the branch by its adherence draw in the fatness. And the building stands because it is cemented together. Since if it stands apart, it perishes, having nothing whereon to support itself. Let us not then merely keep hold of Christ, but let us be cemented to Him. For if we stand apart, we perish. There are many images whereby He brings us into union. Thus, if you mark it, He is the head 
we are the body. Can there be any empty interval between the head and a body? He is a foundation, we a building. He a vine, we branches. He the bridegroom, we the bride. He the shepherd, we the sheep. He is the way, we they who walk therein. Again, we are a temple, He the indweller. He the first begotten, we the brethren. He the heir, we the heirs together with Him. He the life, we the living. He the resurrection, we those who rise again. He the light, we the enlightened. All of these things indicate unity and they allow no void interval, not even the smallest. For he that removes but to a little distance will go on till he has become very far distant. For so the body receiving, though it be but a small cut by a sword, perishes. And the building, though there be but a small chink, falls to decay. And the branch, though it be but a little while cut off from the root, becomes useless. So that this trifle is not trifle, but it even almost the whole. Whensoever then we commit some little fault or even negligence, let us not overlook that little, since this being disregarded quickly becomes great. So also when a garment hath begun to be torn and is neglected, it is apt to prolong its rent all throughout. And a roof, when a few tiles have fallen, being disregarded, brings down the whole house. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in knowing that our foundation is Christ. Our foundation is immovable. That no matter the flood, no matter the storm, no matter the current, that our foundation will always stand. And I pray, Father, that that is our foundation. I pray for us as individuals that we don't strive to find our righteousness in our good works, that we not strive to find our righteousness in combining our merits with the merits of Christ, but that we see that any good deed we do is simply as a result of Your grace because You have saved us. And it's for Your glory, not our own. That any desire or affection that we have of love is because You've given us that desire. Because we, in and of ourselves, are sinful. We, in and of ourselves, have nothing to offer that is of any worth. But it is only by Your grace and only by Your gift that we stand. And I pray that we do stand. That we stand boldly, that we stand confidently, and that we stand with the assurance that our foundation is Christ Jesus and Him alone. Father, grant that to us. Protect us from seeking to lay another foundation. Let us live in Christ and walk in Christ-likeness. We love you. We thank you for your body. We thank you for the church. We thank you for Christ and his care and provision for her. We pray that we walk faithfully in that covenant. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.